You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Hey, before we get to this week's edition of Banner Monday, let's talk real quick about tickets. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. There are hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, and that makes it hard to know who to trust, which is why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. And there's a couple good opportunities coming up. Indiana playing UT Arlington and then UC Davis after that. Lots of good tickets available for those games. And then, of course, you've got the Big Ten home opener. You've got the game against Louisville. You've got the game in Indianapolis against Butler. So a lot of good opportunities uh, for those of you uh, that live in and around Bloomington and Indianapolis to get there, see the team, see Romeo Langford in person. Um, and this, you know, this fun, exciting Indiana team, see him in person. And SeatGeek is a place that you should go when you need tickets because SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites and grades every ticket based on value. That's kind of their differentiating point that helps you immediately identify the best seats to fit your budget. And importantly, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the app on my phone. I use it when I need to buy tickets, whether it's sports ticket tickets, concert tickets, anything. Um, so that's why you should do it too. Go to the desktop site, download the app on your phone, whatever is easier for you. Now, best of all, listeners to the assembly call get a discount. You get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Yes, normally that has been $20. They changed it. It's now $10. 10, still better. Not as good as 20, but still better than nothing. But $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now, here's this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. IU hoops, Big Ten hoops, deep dives into basketball strategy and concepts, plus previews of IU's upcoming opponent. We do it all here every Monday, and we're happy to have you here with us. This is the fifth edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 443rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, November 19th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. A little off on my music cues there. <laughs> so this is when I usually say how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. <laughs> Just like the Hoosiers yesterday in Fayetteville. Slow start, but I will rebound. I promise. All right, today's banner moment. Uh, it harkens back to Sunday's game against Arkansas, and specifically the play of Deron Davis. And 
it occurs to me that the way you view Duran's contributions yesterday says a lot about your mindset as an IU fan. Are you a glass half full type? Or do you make the unfortunate choice to see the glass as half empty? Because on the one hand, you know, Duran turned it over three times, one being that costly travel on Indiana's third to last possession. He also had two game-changing plays go against him in the final seconds, his point-blank tip-in try that was just inches too short to go in. And then he committed a foul 80 feet from the basket that gave Arkansas the free throw it needed to score the game's deciding points. But on the other hand, Duran, who is still working his way back from a devastating Achilles injury that he suffered less than a year ago, was forced to play 23 minutes in a fast-paced game against an NBA-level big man, and he responded with a really productive game. He scored 10 points on 5-for-6 shooting and grabbed 5 rebounds. His plus-minus was a team-best 17. He probably played the best defense of anyone on Daniel Gafford. And in the, you know, the waning seconds of a hard-fought road game, Archie trusted him to be on the floor. Granted, there weren't a lot of other options, but he had to run out there on the floor. Plus, the context of those quote-unquote mistakes at the end of the game is important. Duran traveled because Gafford flopped badly. So, you know, kudos to Gafford for the gamesmanship, I guess. Duran missed the tap-in, yes, and there isn't really an excuse for that. But that happens, frustrating as it is, especially at that point in the game. Still, you also have to credit him for his hustle and awareness to have that opportunity in the first place. He just didn't convert it. And I still refuse to believe that was a foul there at the end. Duran's arms got tangled with the Arkansas players. They went for the ball. That, to me, shouldn't have been a foul, especially in a physical game like that one was, and especially you know in that situation that late in the game. But such is life on the road uh, in an out-of-conference game. So to me, one of the most encouraging parts about yesterday's game was Duran's play. Indiana desperately needed someone to step up with all the injuries, and with Justin Smith and Evan Fitzner not having productive days, to put it kindly, and Duran played far better than I ever figured he'd be able to this early in the season. And I think that bodes really well for him being an impact player for Indiana off the bench this season. All right. Well, here is what is on tap for this week's edition of Banner Monday. We've got the listener mailbag. No Ryan this week. Uh, he is still in Maui, but he should be back with us next week. So I'll be tackling the listener mailbag. Then, of course, we have our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy. Uh, a very triumphant Big Ten Roundup, I'm sure, after the week that the Big Ten had. We have another edition of Basketball 201 with Ben Ladner coming up. Uh, I think we're going to talk about Indiana's offense with Juwan Morgan in the game there in the second half and how much different it looked. And then I will give you a quick opponent preview of UT Arlington. All of that coming here this week on Banner Monday. Uh, before we hop into this week's mailbag, I do want to remind you real quick about the best way to shop online for great deals on IU basketball and football tickets. Just remember the URL, iutickets.shop. It will take you right to SeatGeek, where you can immediately find the best deals on IU basketball tickets, other sports tickets, concert tickets, and more. Get a brother, get some coupons. And yes, you can. As a bonus, you can use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $10 off your first purchase. I know it used to be $20. They just changed it. 10, not as good as 20, but still better than zero. So use the promo code assembly to get $10 off your first purchase. And when you use that URL, iutickets.shop, we actually get paid a commission for referring you. So it's a great way to support the show. Again, the URL is iutickets.shop. Thank you. All right. So let's dive into the mailbag here. And the first question that we have is about injuries. So Jeffrey just wanted uh, an update on injuries. When will race Devante and Zach McRoberts be available uh you know race we really don't know it, it was it's a concussion so it's hard to put a timetable on a concussion it doesn't sound like they are um it, you know so i think we're just going to have to wait and see on that one it doesn't sound that optimistic though because archie in his pregame comments to fish yesterday did talk about Devonte and zach mcroberts and said he hopes to have them back in the next week or two 
you know, Devontae's dealing with the thigh bruise. Zach's dealing with some back issues. So it sounds like it's one of those things that are maybe not necessarily day-to-day, but kind of close to that, you know, where they're just kind of monitoring it, seeing how those guys feel. When you look at how the schedule breaks out, we've got UT Arlington, then UC Davis, what, on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, right? And then Duke the following Tuesday. Now, obviously, this Arkansas game showed just how much we need Devontae and Zach McRoberts, and you know Archie will do anything to have them back for that Duke game. So my guess is that the ideal situation would be they sit out Tuesday against UT Arlington. If there's any way that they can play Friday, you know, that they're healthy, you don't risk a recurrence of the injury, they're feeling good, you would love to have them out there against UC Davis to get some game reps before going up against the athletes that Duke possesses. Obviously, you know, UC Davis isn't even close to a you know, proxy for playing Duke, but just to get some game reps, get back out there, work on the conditioning a little bit, you'd love to have them out there for that game. I don't know if that's possible. It sounds like the most likely scenario would be them playing against Duke or, you know, or, or not even until after that. But the ideal situation would be get them in there against UC Davis. But we'll just have to wait and see. That's, uh, you know, that's the most I know, so that's really the best update that I can provide. Kathy asks, do you think officiating is really one-sided or do you think Indiana fans are hypersensitive about it? I mean, I think the answer to this question is really like sometimes yes to both of them. Um, I think officiating sometimes is really bad. I think it's more likely to be bad when you go on the road in an out-of-conference game. And it, you know, I think there's just a lot of reasons uh, for that. I don't even necessarily know that they're all nefarious reasons. I mean, you know, officials are people like anybody else who can get caught up in the moment of a home crowd. And especially if they you know, tend to have some kind of affiliation for the conference that they're officiating for. And actually, I don't know the, affiliate, the affiliation of the Arkansas refs, so I don't mean to cast aspersions on them. But I'm just saying that would be a little bit more likely. You know, confirmation bias can play into another, you know, just kind of biases that can impact the calls that officials make. You know, are Indiana fans hypersensitive about it? Sometimes, you know, I think sometimes in tough losses, it's easy to, you know, pick out a couple of calls that really make a difference. But I also think sometimes it's warranted. You know, like there are poorly officiated games and you don't have to be an official hater to say that. I mean, even officials would would recognize that. And I don't know what the officials from yesterday's game would say, but I and I'm not one, you know, longtime listeners of the show know that I don't tend to spend a whole lot of time worrying about officials. But I didn't think yesterday's game was officiated very well. It was just kind of inconsistent. You know, I mean, uh, the Arkansas guys are, are putting all kinds of pressure, riding our guys, you know, up, you know, as they're dribbling the ball up the court. And then Rob Finnessy will get a little ticky-tack hand check foul. So, you know, and I didn't, as I already mentioned, I didn't think the call at the end was a good call. I thought there were several calls down the stretch, you know, that, that didn't go very well for Indiana. So still, even with all of that, Indiana had the opportunities with just a little bit better ball handling and better decision making to win that game. So I don't think officiating cost Indiana the game. But I also don't think it was a very evenly officiated game. So, you know, Kathy, I don't think when officiating is one-sided that it's, you know, the refs are out to get Indiana or some team. But I do think unconscious biases can play into it sometimes in certain arenas, in certain situations. And I think sometimes it can. The outcome can be, you know, just one-sided when you look at it on balance. Um, and, you know, so in those cases, I think it's okay to point it out and talk about it. But in other cases, when it's really not that bad and you're just kind of looking for a scapegoat for a loss that is too disappointing to process, then yes, I think in those cases, Indiana fans can be hypersensitive about officiating just as all fans can be. I don't think Indiana fans are necessarily better or worse in that area, uh, than a lot of fan bases are. So that's how I would answer that question. Thank you for asking it. Um, Nathan 
with this question, Nathan, of course, the chief marketing officer for Comfort Option, one of our new sponsors. You should check them out at comfortoption.com. He did not ask this question, asking me to do that, but I did it anyway because I'm a big fan of theirs. Uh, but he says, I haven't listened to the whole post-game podcast yet, so maybe this was discussed. It really wasn't, which is why I want to address it here. What are your thoughts about the use of Clifton Moore for defensive purposes against other high-level bigs going forward? I would have loved to have seen him get a chance to go against Gafford just from a length and strength perspective. You know, it's not even just from the length and strength perspective, but also that Clifton has shown the ability to block some shots this year. He showed the ability to block some shots last year. Um, albeit, you know, he's he's never really been out there in high-stakes competition yet. And you would certainly have thought that if Clifton was ready to play, that he would have played yesterday. So, you know, in cases like this, I find it really hard to not defer to the coaches because the coaches see these guys practice every single day. And so what might seem kind of obvious on the surface to us as fans, like, hey, we can't stop Gafford. You know, we've got this issue where, you know, Fitzner's struggling. You know, Duran is still trying to work himself back into condition. We've got foul trouble injuries. You know, Clifton's actually played well in a couple of games. Maybe we put him out there. Like, that seemed to make all the sense in the world, especially given the fact that, you know, Clifton, just from a physical stature, stands up pretty well next to Gafford. So the fact that he doesn't play, because... Trust me, you know, Archie's able to see that stuff as much as we are. The fact that he doesn't play tells me that something is happening or not happening in practice that doesn't give Archie and the coaching staff enough confidence to put him out there. And that's what I, I have to go on. So I agree. Like, I would have loved to see him get that chance out of curiosity and out of, from my limited view, thinking that maybe he's progressed a little bit and, hey, let's see what he can do for a couple of minutes. But I think we got to go with the coaches on that one, you know, and maybe if we see Clifton start to get in in the future and he's just dominating and it's like, man, why didn't we put him in in the Arkansas game? He really could have done something. Then maybe with hindsight, you could second guess it, but I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, what I would, what I do hope is that as we move forward, Clifton gets better and whatever is keeping Archie from having confidence in him, you know, subsides and he starts to build some more confidence in him, you know, but Clifton's still a young player. And a lot of times for big guys, it takes a little while, especially for Clifton learning to play defense at this level. So I think we just, we're just going to have to wait and see on that. Um, but I'm not going to second guess Archie on that because uh, he knows more about it than, uh, than we do. Um, let's see, we've got this question. This question actually came in last week from Paul and it, we didn't get a chance to play it. Um, so I want to play it now because it's still a relevant question. So here's this question from uh, our listener, Paul. Hey guys, this is uh, Paul Owen calling from Chicago. Season about, you know, what was really going to make this team work was about guys realizing their role and kind of recognizing if they need to change their expectations of how much playing time they might get. I'm looking at a couple games, I'm starting to wonder if maybe those sort of comments from him were more, maybe a little more directed at Devontae Green than we realized at the time. Uh, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that whether or not you think he might have had more of a master plan and a better idea that Rob would be getting more minutes to start out the season. Thanks. Love to hear your answer. Love the show. You know, I think this is a really insightful question from Paul. I would say that, you know, certainly, you know, I think there's a master plan really for everything. There's at least a plan typically for everything that coaches are going to say publicly. Um, you know, now Archie strikes me as a guy who is a, you know, just a pretty straight shooter and will tell you what he thinks about his guys, which is why I like listening to him. But I think when you make comments like that, especially which he made several times, 
I think you're trying to send a message both to fans and to your players, you know, about about that type of thing and about look, we you know, we're very deep. You know, some guys are going to have to understand they may have smaller roles. I don't know that I buy that it was specifically directed at Devontae Green specifically because Archie knew that Rob would take over the point guard spot because Archie made a comment. I don't remember when this was, so forgive me. I don't I think it must have been during one of his um press availabilities. But he basically said that it was the Chicago State game, or no, not the Chicago State, the Loyola Chicago scrimmage where he really got an idea that, hey, like, you know, Finnessy might be pretty good. Like, this point guard situation might be a little bit better and further along than we thought. And he had been making those other comments before then. Now, maybe he did know that. You know, this is, it's all pure speculation. But my guess is it wasn't just Devontae because there are other guys too, you know? I mean, it's easy to look at Devontae and say this, but Zach McRoberts is a guy who, you know, you look at the beginning of the season, who you could reasonably project that, hey, maybe his role is going to take a little bit of a step back if other younger, more talented, more athletic guys, you know, defend at a similar level and can bring more on offense. Maybe he plays fewer minutes. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not advocating for that. But that's something reasonable that you could see, right? A guy like Deron Davis coming back from injury who, you know, came into last year as a starter, I'm sure still envisions himself as, you know, a top option on this team. But I'm sure Archie knew that just given his rehab and given all the other options on the team, he might not be playing that many minutes early on. So it could be a message at him. So I think Devontae would certainly be a guy whose role was in flux and, you know, who, you know, based on how that all shook out was going to need to do this. But I think there were a lot of other guys um, who were going to have to do that too. So I don't tend to think that that was directed just at Devontae. But I certainly think it's clear that he was among the handful of guys that <clears throat> seemed to project into a certain role, but that that role could kind of fall into flux if certain young guys stepped up, and that is what has happened. So um, a master plan in general, not a master plan specifically, to answer that question. Um, okay, let me... I need to check one thing here. Okay, let's move on to the next question now. So the next question is from Jason. He says, aside from knocking... And this question came in after the Marquette game, before the Arkansas game, by the way. So he says, aside from knocking down four three-pointers, I was not impressed with Evan Fitzner's contributions on Wednesday in the Marquette game. He did not appear to be quick enough to defend on the perimeter and not strong enough to defend on the block. His rebounding and positioning was poor on both offense and defense, plus a couple of sloppy turnovers. Am I being overly critical? How many minutes per game does Fitzner project in Big Ten play? So if we go back and look at that Marquette game, uh, Evan Fitzner uh, scored 16 points. He was 4-4 from downtown. Uh, So... Really a terrific offensive game. So, you know, are you being overly critical after the Marquette game? Maybe. However, you know, you look at Jason's question now within the context of what Evan did against Arkansas, and some of those things really hurt against Arkansas without the 16 points to kind of help compensate for them. So I think what we've seen in these last two games is what we may need to expect a little bit from Evan. There are going to be certain styles of games, especially you know offensive, flowing, back-and-forth games against teams like Marquette that are a little bit more based on offense than they are based on gritty defense that are really going to fit into how Evan likes to play. You know, a guy who can really... You know, with a well-spaced game, can pick his spots and make threes, can, you know, post up against guys that aren't overly physical or athletic, you know, make some moves and do some things and, and be able just because of his size and because of his effort, because I think he plays hard, 
he can get in there and get some rebounds. But I think there are going to be other games, you know, and this Arkansas game was certainly one of them, and there will be others where he's really going to struggle, where the game is a little bit faster and a little bit more physical than what he's used to. And because of the defensive pressure that the opponent provides, he's not able to get some of the clean looks from downtown. And look, Evan is a guy that's going to give up some points, so he's going to have to score points on the other end to make up for that. He did against Marquette. He didn't against Arkansas, and he ended up not playing that much against Arkansas. So I think in fairness, Jason, you know, we just, you know, it's like with every player, like we can't expect every player to be perfect. And so you can only kind of grade a player against the skills and abilities that they bring to the table. And so against Marquette, I think we saw, you know, kind of an ideal situation for Evan and he took advantage of it. And against Arkansas, we probably saw like one of the most non-ideal situations for him and he really struggled. So I think most games will probably be a little bit in between there, but you'll see some, you know, some fluctuations. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, Evan wasn't a featured player at St. Mary's despite his ability to shoot. And we probably saw a little bit of that against Arkansas. It doesn't mean that I don't think he can still be a really impactful player and that he's not going to be a useful guy to play, you know, 12, 15 minutes a game. Uh, I think he will be, but, you know, these last two games have really highlighted the things that he does really well, but also the things that he doesn't do really well. And it's just important to keep that in mind as we go forward uh, into the season. Uh, and then this question from Paul, he says, Romeo penetrates and drives smoothly and often leans in for contact to get a potential foul. Do you think his style will stay effective as people scout him more? Um, I think Romeo Langford is going to be able to score points and be effective on the offensive end, no matter how much film opposing college basketball teams get on him. Because Romeo is a special athlete, he has special basketball instincts, and he just has a nose for scoring. Like, some guys just have a knack for scoring. And it's not always something that you can just pinpoint or describe or, you know, not something that you can scout again. They just know how to score. Sometimes they're really efficient, sometimes they're not quite as efficient, but they just know how to score. And I think Romeo, you know, has his bread and butter moves, but I think he's also going to be good enough that when people do scout him, He'll have counters, and he'll have counters to their counters because he's that kind of athlete, and he's that skilled of a basketball player. Now, that said, there are going to be some things that I think he's going to need to be to clean up that people will be able to take advantage of. Because what we saw against Arkansas is, you know, even though Romeo scored 20-plus points and was really good, <clears throat> Arkansas seemed to recognize that he gets a little bit loose with his dribble when he's in open-court situations, especially trying to beat the press. He gets a little loose just kind of handling the ball when he's on the wing trying to decide what he's going to do. You know, you saw him over there in the in the left corner. He didn't have the ball in a triple threat. He had it, you know, kind of down below his knees, and Daniel Gafford just swiped down at it and created a turnover. That's the kind of stuff that he could get away with in high school. He's not going to be able to get away with in college. So as that stuff gets scouted, he's going to have to adjust there. That's So I think his style will stay effective in terms of scoring, <clears throat> but his efficiency might drop some if he doesn't clean up some of those things because he's going to turn the ball over and just be part of more empty possessions. I also think defensively, while he's had some really good defensive moments, you know, like the beginning of the Marquette game, and you know, I thought he played really well defensively against Chicago State, especially early in that game. Um, you saw him really lose his man at times against Arkansas. Now, you know, I I will say, in a game where he played 38 minutes and really you know, on the offensive end, had to put forth a lot of effort handling the ball, you know, getting to the basket. You know, he clearly took some time off on the defensive end. And 
that is, you know, not good. You never want to excuse that, and I'm sure Archie won't, but it is somewhat understandable for a high-scoring freshman in his fourth game in a game where that much was, he was relied on that much on the offensive end. You know, like, and I'm sorry, Romeo's not perfect, right? But, but I think it's fair to point those things out defensively, and hopefully as he his conditioning improves <clears throat> and he just gets better at maintaining focus for f- the full 40 minutes, which, you know, he didn't have to do in high school because he could just go score points whenever he needed to, you know, I think hopefully that will get better because he really cost Indiana some possessions there defensively, uh, you know, in the second half and, and, and really allowed the entire defense to get out of position because he was just sleepwalking through it. And so if he, you know, so that, you know, that kind of smoothness on defense sometimes doesn't play as well. And if he doesn't clean that up, people will definitely scout against that. And they'll just have whoever he's guarding, you know, run like the Dickens back and forth, run off screens and see if Romeo will pay attention long enough to defend. So the ball handling, the defense, that is something that I think with more scouting teams will still really try and take advantage of. Even with that, he'll still score 20 points because he's that good of a scorer. But I think some of the other stuff is really what what teams will get him on. Um, okay, that was the last question. Excellent questions. Really appreciate you all um, sending those questions in. Let me take a quick look at the chat mob here. Um, see if there were any questions posted there. Uh, I don't see any. Okay. Good conversation going on in there, as always, though. The chat mob. By the way, if you're just listening to this on the podcast and you're wondering what the chat mob is, uh, that is our the people who are here live and that participate in the chat on YouTube. So if you're not subscribed on YouTube, youtube.com slash assembly call. Um, you know, this banner Monday is broadcast live at three o'clock Eastern time on Mondays, just like our Thursday show is broadcast at nine Eastern time. And our post game shows broadcast live immediately following the games, the chat mob. Those are the folks that show up live. Great chats, great conversations in there. It's insightful, informed, respectful dialogue, the kind of dialogue that we need more of, which is why I'm proud to be, you know, part of something that has a community like the chat mob around it. So if you ever want to participate in that, watch one of the live broadcasts um, and you'll be able to participate in the chat mob. All righty, coming up here on the assembly call, it is time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy from BTN and the Sporting News. He will provide his impressions of Indiana's performances against Marquette and Arkansas and discuss the Big Ten's early season resurgence. Stick with us here on the assembly call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference, and there's no one better to provide insight on Big Ten basketball than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN, in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. Oh, thanks for having me, Jared. It's always a delight. So we have a lot to talk about with respect to the Big Ten Conference, and we will get to that because this is going to be a very triumphant edition of the Big Ten Roundup, I have a feeling. Uh, but <laughs> let's, start, let's start talking about Indiana, and let's just open. What were your impressions of Indiana's week? You had the big victory over Marquette at home, and then the, you know, the, the disappointing, perhaps angering uh, loss to Arkansas there on the road. What were your, what were your impressions of those two games for you? Well, you, the, the the triumph of the of the Marquette game, uh, you couldn't you couldn't not be delighted in that if you were an Indiana fan. Everything went the way everything went the way you would hope it would. From Romeo playing as well as he did to the crowd, obviously influencing the game, to uh, the fact that Indiana held an, a very very good offensive team uh, and really made them struggle. And look, what they what Indiana was able to do offensively in that game, somewhat reflective of maybe Marquette still not there defensively. 
But at the other end, where Indiana is growing and learning, uh, they really handled that. On the road, in, our, in Arkansas, I, I think they created problems for themselves that they probably didn't have to. Uh, I, certainly playing against pressure was a new experience for them. I don't think Arkansas's pressure is elite at this point. Uh, and so I thought that they could have handled it better than they did. It, it was a real problem for them, for Jawan Morgan, to get in foul trouble early for a couple of reasons. One, it took away some of their offense, but it also took away the opportunity to move Daniel Gafford away from the goal and make him less of a factor for everybody else. Uh, he was able to stay camped inside uh, you know, most of the time with Deron Davis playing. Uh, they were able, he was able to stay in there where he is so difficult to, defend, to, to deal with because he's such a great shot blocker and such a great presence. If Jawan is playing and maybe doing some of his perimeter work, uh, then you get him away from the goal. Maybe you put the ball on the floor and, and make him guard on the move. I mean, all that stuff went out of the, uh, of the game plan when Jawan picked up his second foul so quickly. And, that, and to be able to come back from that, as well as to come back from 10 points down in the second half to, to force uh, you know, a tie game and to have the ball with the final shot, I mean, it's all positives. I don't think Indiana has to feel badly about much other than some of the things that did go wrong in that final minute to, from, uh, you know, from Duran having the opportunity to tip it in and not, and not, you know, not really getting enough oomph on it uh, to Robert going too early, Robert Finnessy making too quick a move uh, in that circumstance. You want to get the last shot. And they, I think he moved with about six and a half seconds left. That was much too early for him to do that. The move itself was great. He drew three defenders and got his, Big guy, a wide open tip in. Uh, it, was, it was like Allen Iverson all over again, but uh, it was too soon. And as a result, a really dreadful, disastrous foul call, an, inex an inexcusable foul call. Uh, it, Mason Jones created as much contact by flying in after that rebound as Deron Davis did in reaching back for it. If it's a foul, uh, then I would say I would lean toward the guy who was flying. I don't think it was a foul. I thought both men had a reasonable opportunity to grab that ball. Uh, it got to Mason Jones, and he deserved the rebound. But I don't think at that point, although there was some tussle, I don't think there was enough contact there to, to call a foul. And I was really disappointed. That one felt like that one felt like it came straight from like the '70s or the '80s, you know, when all the games weren't on TV and everybody didn't see uh, everybody didn't see the calls that were made. Uh, that one sort of felt a little bit like uh, like you knew where you were playing, and that's not the way it's supposed to be in 2018. I agree with you, and many IU fans agree with you on that. <laughs> so let me ask you this as we look ahead for Indiana now. The Hoosiers have two games this week, home against UT Arlington, home against UC Davis, a couple of teams in the bottom 225 of Ken Palm. Other than injured players getting healthy, which clearly needs to happen, and that was really highlighted against Arkansas, what right. are the most important things that need to happen in these two games for Indiana to be prepared for that challenge at Duke next week? Wow. You know, it's, it's hard to get ready for that with these games, right? I mean, because yeah. you're not going to face anything like that. So you work on yourself. Uh, you work on trying to be tighter with the basketball, uh, first of all. I think you work on trying not to get yourself into foul trouble. I mean, uh, Jawan Morgan played against Daniel Gafford and, and winds up in foul trouble immediately. Well, Zion Williamson is no easier than Daniel Gafford. It, it, 
they're, they're both great players. Uh, and they're a little different, but they're both explosive, dynamic, uh, strong, physical players around the rim. And you're going to have to cope with that. And so you can't foul that rapidly and get yourself in a position where you basically, as as my friend Fran Priscilla says, you fouled yourself out of the first half. Uh, that can't happen. If you, if that happens uh, at Duke, there's you're not going to have a chance to win. Uh, you can't give up your one of your well one of your two best players, but you, or easily one of your you know five or six best players, the guys you're counting on. You can't give that guy up in the first two and a half minutes and expect to survive a trip to Cameron, even when they're just Duke good, uh, as opposed to maybe potentially national championship good. So let's talk Big Ten. Huge week for the Big Ten. Even some national media members who love to downplay the Big Ten were forced to to praise the Big Ten for their overwhelming performances. And let's start out, as we usually do, with your current power rankings top four. Clearly, Michigan is at the top. So let's talk about them and then who who, go, who comes after Michigan in the top four for you. Well, I'm, I'm going to what I am going to do is I am not going on. OK, you were ranked one or two or whatever. And so you can't move. I don't care about that stuff. <laughs> what have you done? What have you done for me, so to speak? Uh, and so I'm going to go on what you've accomplished. So first is Michigan going into Villanova, although Furman kind of took a little bit of the shine off of that by then going in and beating Villanova as well, going in and, and just wrecking the reigning national champions in the way that Michigan did was staggering. And then going on uh, I, up, you know, up east and, and, and taking out Providence as well, uh, I think that they, they are the deserving one. Uh, at that point, I would go with Iowa because they won the tournament uh, with victories over Connecticut. I think they would have rather, in the end, would have rather had Syracuse if, if but Syracuse didn't earn that, so they didn't get that. But then they got Oregon, which, although Oregon uh, did not play well at all in the Iowa game, Iowa gets a lot of credit for that. And I think they'll still uh, contend at a high level for the Pac-12 championship. So that one's going to be a good one in the bank for the Cyclones. Excuse me, for the Hawkeyes. Ooh, mm-hmm. You get a lot of trouble for them. Um, <laughs> it's an Indiana show. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the Hawkeyes. Uh, third, I would give uh, Wisconsin. Uh, going on the road, winning at Xavier, I think that was – I think it was something like 44 consecutive victories in non-conference games at home for Xavier. And to go in and, again, they didn't wreck them, but they handled Xavier. It was never really super competitive. Uh, you had Ethan Half just play brilliantly. Uh, he was tremendous. And Brad Davison and Demetri Trice, really, Trice is really shooting the basketball well. That's three. And then Nebraska's four. Uh, Nebraska's greatest challenges haven't come yet, uh, but they've played very good basketball in the first uh, couple of weeks. They, and they, they blew out Seton Hall. Not a great Seton Hall team, I don't think, uh, but uh, uh, Nebraska's right where they need to be at this point. So what players or teams kind of caught your eye this week? Feel free to expound on you know some of the ones that you've already mentioned or, or talk about some other ones. Because, I mean, the Big Ten's you know, prowess so far this season even goes beyond those four teams that you mentioned. It does. It, been, it's been such a great start for the Big Ten. And uh, even, even in their losses, I mean, even in you looked at the – if you watch the Penn State game at DePaul, I think DePaul is better than they've been. I mean, it, you look at it this three games in and you think back to how horrible DePaul's been as a Big East program, both fr- since the split, uh, the private schools, 
or going back to when it was a football basketball hybrid. They had just been horrendous for the longest time, but I think they're good now. So even the loss Penn State uh, put out there, um, I, I don't think that w- will be as costly as it looked uh, or it looks on paper. And then it, Illinois losing at home to Georgetown, they were right there in that game, even though Frazier didn't play. Uh, and I, you know, their young guards were outstanding. So I think that even, you know, they, I think they're probably going to struggle a little bit, uh, in Maui. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they left the Island three, Oh, and three, but, uh, I think they're going to give the teams that they play for the most part, a pretty good account of themselves. It's, it's, it's a talented young team. So even though, uh, they lost, uh, and probably lost disappointing games, I think even they didn't do badly. But then you go to the to the plus side, and you see what Tyler Cook did, uh, and and Garza did in in uh, yeah, I think it was in New York the the tournament they played, and they were so good. Uh, I, I thought Tyler Cook was just fabulous. Twenty six points, I think he had uh, in the championship game against UConn, and just you know was the best player on the floor. And and it, it, an example of testing the waters can be a good thing. And there are so many coaches who are bothered by it. I, I, I think it would help coaches to get more on board with that idea that going out and finding out what the NBA thinks of you is a good thing. And, and going through their process and understanding what it is that they're looking for. I mean, cause you can tell people, you can tell a guy like Tyler Cook, this is what, you know, this is what you don't do well, or somebody, you know, somebody on the internet can tell them that, but it's different when, I don't know, maybe somebody like Jerry West sits there and tells you what you're not good at or or Ernie Grunfeld or you know, somebody that's been in the NBA personnel business for 20, 30, 50 years. Uh, the, it's different. So I think that Tyler Cook really learned a lot from his experience there. And I remember saying, and I think I said it to you when we did our first show, that if there, Tyler Cook was not on the all Big Ten preseason team, and I think they had 10 guys on it, eight or 10. It was it was more than five, and I said if there's a if the if the Big Ten team doesn't have Tyler Cook on it, this league might be better than we thought, and I think we got both of those right. Yeah, it sure looks like it so far. Let's talk real quick about why this matters, right? You know, the all these early wins that the Big Ten is getting, like for an Indiana fan, right? Why does this matter? It's like I you know I'm watching the Purdue game last night. And, you know, my natural inclination since I was very young is to root against Purdue. I always want to root against Purdue. And yet I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if Purdue wins this game, that's actually good. It's another big win for the Big Ten. It's team Indiana is going to play twice. And, you know, you you really want the Big Ten to get as many wins because as soon as conference play starts, now you don't have the chance to kind of prove yourself outside the conference anymore. You're just kind of beating each other and kind of moving up, moving down but you're not really gaining a ton when you're playing against yourselves. This time right now is when you really jockey for position and show how strong the conference is from an analytics standpoint. So like, like why, you know, why should fans of, of, of big 10 schools be rooting for the other big 10 teams to be doing well early in the season? I always use this as a metaphor. I think it works perfectly. When you are playing non-conference games, you are establishing the value of your currency. What is a Big Ten win worth? Let's say, you know, a, 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 if you're the best league, the, you know, the league that does the best out of conference, let's say your win is worth 100 bucks. okay? Last year, a Big Ten win was worth about $43 compared to that. And, and I mean, I'm not trying to make it, but, but if, if you can go 13 and five in a league, 
uh, like the Big Ten, as Nebraska did a year ago, and not make the NCAA tournament, you're seeing what a Big Ten win was worth. And that was all established in non-conference play when the Big Ten did not do well, uh, in particular in the ACC Big Ten Challenge when it went 3-11. and 11. And that's, that highlights what the importance of these out-of-conference wins is. So, yeah, I know for a Hoosier fan, it's hard to root for Purdue. Take care of them yourself when you play them. And, you know, and maybe once the league race develops, if you want to finish ahead of them or you want, you know, then you root against them. But for now, everybody in the Big Ten should root for everybody in the Big Ten and everybody in the ACC should root for everybody in the ACC because establishing the value of your victory is really important to getting multiple, not multiple, but let's say bucketfuls of NCAA tournament teams. Everybody, you know, the Big Ten is going to get multiple. You know, they're going to get more than one. But you want them to get more than four, which is what the Big Ten got last year if you're an Indiana fan. Because, and the reason you want that is you can't because you can't guarantee which side of that line you're on. So you want to be in a league that is rich in quality victories outside the league. And right now, based on the first two weeks, that's where you are. Now, these next two weeks are really important as well as you see teams you know, Illinois is not exactly the team that you would have wanted to volunteer. Illinois is not the team you would have wanted to volunteer to go to Maui in this field. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous field, and Illinois is in a, in a, a very much at the beginning stages of a rebuilding process. But any game it can win out there, as good as the tournament is, is a plus for the league. And you have you know other tournaments going on as well. And then next week, of course, you have the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I already noted a year ago, how damaging that was to the league in terms of overall strength, perception of strength, and the number of tournament bids. If you can go into that uh, event next week and break even, uh, then then the Big Ten will be in really great shape when it starts league play and then eventually when it becomes full-time league play. We are not getting any support in the live chat from people saying that Indiana fans should root for Purdue. Uh, all, all I would say is, you know, it's one of those things. You just kind of hold your nose while they're playing. I'm kind of ambivalent, right? Like, you know, it's it's never – Purdue loses, fine. Like, that's awesome. But if they happen to win, it's like, all right, fine. Whatever. That helps the conference. Then get into conference play and then go 0-20. That's fine. But it does j- – just that's the silver lining if Purdue wins is that it does – it helps out the overall conference. Um, all right, so last question for you here, Mike. As we you know look forward here uh, to this next week for the Big Ten, what are some of the most important non-IU games in the conference that we should be paying attention to? Wow. Well, you know, I think that, uh, as I said, you'd start in Maui with uh, with those games. And you don't expect Illinois to, to, to win a ton of games. But, you know, there's a lot of quality wins out there for them that they can have. Uh, and so you certainly want to see them, you know, if they could just get out of there with one victory. And, and, and again, given that Chaminade is not in this year's field, any one victory would be enormous. You've got Michigan State out in Vegas, you know, playing UCLA. That's a huge game for the, for the Big Ten. If they can, if and then of course they have a, a subsequent game. It's a tournament uh, uh, situation. They might get a shot at North Carolina. Uh, you know, that would be enormous uh, for the league if they could do that as well. It, it, you know, I think that would really be helpful for the league to get to to get if you could get one or both of those games, it would really be significant. 
And then, of course, uh, you, you, you lead into the challenge uh, next week when there are so many important games for the conference. If you're able to, again, finish 500 in that challenge, if you can do that, you know, I think at that point, uh, as long as they don't, you know, really stumble in, in, in the, you know, this next week uh, in, in the various tournaments, go 0-3 in Maui, uh, uh, Michigan State gets swept, et cetera. Uh, you know, if those things don't happen, I think that the league is in tremendous shape. Has anyone in the conference really been disappointing yet? No, I, I don't think that you could classify anybody. I think it was a little disappointing for Rutgers to lose the home game to St. John's because it was a home game. I think that I think that and I, I St. John's still sort of trying to figure it out very talented. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't say it's overwhelmingly talented. I mean, St. John's is top two, three, four in the Big East projections. You know, Rutgers is still near the bottom of the league, but it did seem like an opportunity for them. And they were never really competitive. I, I won't put Illinois in that category for losing a home game because they were right there with Georgetown the entire way, way uh, with, with, with Frazier being on the sideline. I don't think that you can say that that would be a disappointment. And then Michigan State has a loss, but uh, it was against the one of the one of the top two teams in the country, top three teams in the country to Kansas. So the, the league has been overwhelmingly successful. And I, you know, I don't think that anybody could could walk away right now and say uh, we're not where we want to be. I, I think everybody in the Big Ten standing here today is now. Again, these next two weeks will will say a lot about uh, about. You know, I, I don't think that you can undo the success of the first two weeks, but you can get stagnant. I mean, if you don't do well the next two weeks, then those first two weeks will still be there and they won't go away. But you, if you do well these next two weeks, you're looking at a chance to be the top one or two rated league uh, in whatever the heck that net thing uh, <laughs> cooks up. Uh, I can't say it's the RPI anymore because we don't have that, but uh, you're you're looking at a chance, not really knowing how those numbers will be computed. Uh, it would be hard to, to, for any other league to surpass what the Big East has, excuse me, what the Big Ten has done in the first two weeks. One of the biggest statistical anomalies of the season has to be Rutgers shooting 45.8% from three-point range, which is 12th in the country, and shooting 54.4% from uh, from the free throw line, which is 345th in the country. <laughs> I, I can't, can't imagine both of those will continue, but you don't usually see that level of disparity in shooting for a team. So that the, is power, really the power of small sample sizes, I suppose, since yes. they've only played three games. You got to get those three-point shooters onto the free throw line. I think that's your problem. Yes. yes. Well, Mike, another good week for the Big Ten. Hopefully it continues, and we look forward to talking about it with you uh, all throughout the season here on Banner Monday. Thanks, and happy Thanksgiving to all the Hoosiers fans out there, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well, Mike. All righty, coming up, it is time for another edition of Basketball 201 with Ben Ladner. We are going to take a look at Indiana's offense against Arkansas, specifically how it was better with Jawan Morgan on the court in the second half. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. You know, here at the Assembly Call, we don't just want to make you a smarter IU basketball fan. We want to make you a smarter basketball fan, period. And that is the purpose of Basketball 201 here, where we kind of dive into some of the nitty-gritty, talk about concepts, talk about offense, talk about defense. Actually, the last couple of weeks, we have 
you know, really focused on, uh, you know, some IU centric, uh, you know, videos to kind of show you what Indiana is doing. Um, so it'll make you a smarter IU basketball fan too. Um, but here with us is Ben Ladner, our, uh, our joint intern. He works at the, uh, inside the hall as well as the assembly call, really doing a great job with these basketball two one segments and writing some of our post game emails, uh, had a great appearance on assembly call radio last week. So Ben, you're really uh, kind of getting the full flavor of the inside the hall assembly call experience here this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been a much wider experience than maybe I anticipated. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, you know, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Rob Finnessy. You know, you let a guy play, you see what he can do, and he just kind of keeps getting minutes, and that's that's kind of what's happened here. So, uh, yeah, if if the comp for for me is is Rob Finnessy, I'm okay with that. Yes, you know, I'm, I'm, that's a, that's a not bad, not a bad comparison. Uh, yeah, that is definitely true. Um, all right, so we emailed earlier today. You said you wanted to talk about the offense with Juwan Morgan on the court. You know, I, I mean that it was such a stark difference yesterday. And it's not that Juwan did a lot with his minutes early in the game because he really didn't. And sometimes it takes Juwan a little while to kind of get in the flow and get going in games, and he didn't really have a chance. But boy, you know, once Indiana got down 45-35 in the second half and Juwan kind of decided, screw this, I'm getting ready to go, it completely changed the the complexion of the game. So I'm looking forward to kind of diving into this and seeing seeing what it was that Indiana was doing offensively with him. Yeah, so uh, the first video, we'll just dive right into it. Um, First video I've got is from second start of the second half. And remember, you know, Morgan only played like two, three minutes in the first half because he picked up two early fouls and was out of there really, really quick. And so Indiana's offense for a lot of that first half was just Romeo Langford kind of trying to do stuff by himself. And it's a good you way to understand that because <laughs> you didn't have a ton of great alternatives. You know, sometimes you get Robert Finnessy slashing in to the lane. Sometimes Al Durham was, you know, he was hitting some shots. They'd get some nice drive and kick motion. Deron Davis was fairly effective, but really they didn't have that offensive anchor unless Romeo Langford was cooking. And I thought in that first half, he was a little more uh, hit or miss than he was in the second. And I think Jawan had a lot to do with that because not only is he such a good scorer and, and so efficient and versatile on the offensive end, just putting the ball in the basket, but his passing, his gravity, his playmaking, he just does so many different things that, you know, a lot of them, to, to, to use the phrase uh, that's become kind of a cliche, a lot of them don't show up in the stat sheet, but they really are valuable contributions. And actually, a, a few of the, the plays, the clips that I'll use here, Jawan doesn't get the credit. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have any, any number that's going to show up as a result of these plays, but it's really him making these plays um, that, that contributed to kind of the flow and the motion that Indiana got on offense in the second half that wasn't really there in the first half. So, First of all, apologies for this watermark in the bottom left. That's uh, this yeah, is who, the only who, who are we advertising for here? <laughs> I can find. Um, Bucket so this is the first play of the second half. Indiana had the ball coming out of halftime, and uh, you got Robert Finnessy coming down the court, and they're just going to set up. It's a it's a quick hitter. This is a scripted play. Most teams do this coming out of halftime. They say, okay, here and and to start games as well. This is our first play. And they kind of draw it up and then go out there on the court and execute it. The rest of the half usually is a little less scripted. It's kind of more feel it out. But this is a designed quick hitter that they're they're looking to get either Juwan Morgan, Romeo Langford, or Robert Finnessy a shot here. So Finnessy goes into Morgan in the high post. Rewind it just a little bit so you can see it unfold. You're going to go to Juwan Morgan, and Finnessy's going to cut around for the handoff. And whether this was designed or not, I don't totally know, but it's a smart play nonetheless because Juwan Morgan... He's going to fake the handoff. And you can see Daniel Gafford just totally bites on the DHO. He thinks that this ball is going to Rob Finnessy. Juwan Morgan 
you know, in the blink of an eye, turns the corner and drives and then draws this help defender from the paint. He's going to step up and Justin Smith just kind of camping out in this dunker spot is wide open. Now, after the dump off pass, Gafford blocks the shot. And, and that was kind of a theme all, all game long is Daniel Gafford being a force. But you can just see the kinds of opportunity that Indiana gets because against most teams, that's going to be a dunk or a layup because most teams don't have Daniel Gafford. He's going to be a lottery pick for a reason. So you can just, the really quick motion that make that causes this to happen, you know, against most teams, you're going to draw this guy up and this center, Jawan Morgan's man is not going to be able to recover in the same way that Gafford did. And you're probably going to get two points out of that. So you used the term DHO in that dribble handoff, right? Dribble handoff. Yeah. Okay. Um, another thought there. I think that play is probably the play. I think it was soon after that, that Justin got benched. And I think a part of that is because of just him going up so weakly and allowing Gafford to block him again, um, which had happened so often in the first half and in the post game, it sounded yeah, he like had, he actually had that dunk attempt in the first half as well. That, uh, you know, again, against most guys, probably a, a poster dunk, a highlight play, but against Gafford, it, he just didn't really have the strength. And Justin Smith is one of these guys where, I kind of feel this way about OG Ananobi uh, in the NBA. In, in college, he was a great finisher, obviously. Um, but he's one of those guys that doesn't finish quite as strong as his physical profile would indicate. I think Jalen Brown is another good example of this, where it's like a big, physical, strong, like, you know, physically imposing wing with great athleticism. And you think, well, this guy should just be able to finish everything around the rim. And then it, you challenge him a little bit and you just kind of see some tentativeness. And I don't really know why that is, but for whatever reason, Smith, I think this has been a theme through the, the, the first four games of the year, has just had some trouble finishing over kind of these bigger guys who can actually hang with him athletically, which, you know, is, is maybe something the team looks to address moving forward. Well, it was constantly an issue last year, and it frustrated yeah. Archie. And he talked about it in the offseason that he thought it was going to be improved. So far, it hasn't. You know, to Justin's credit, he did try to have that one power finish in the first mm -hmm. half, and it looked like the ball just kind of slipped out of his hands a little bit, um, or, or he might have finished that one. But, yeah, I mean, that, you know, in that play with Justin, I mean, I'm thinking a little bit more patience, maybe a pump fake, something, you know, there. It, yeah, and, and I'm sure they talked about that at halftime. That's part of the reason why Archie was so mad at that play. But but you're right. I mean, you look at the attention that was paid to Juwan there, and it immediately creates easier offense. It just didn't happen to lead to a bucket in that case. Yeah, so we'll see actually another example of that here with a play later from the second half. All these clips are going to be from the second half because, again, Juwan uh, did not really play in the first half. So same kind of setup. Now we have Deron Davis in for Justin Smith, because like we talked about, Justin uh, was tied to the pine for most of that second half. So Finnessy's going to come down and they're looking for Romeo Langford here on the wing. He had been kind of feeling it in that first half and was, had become sort of the, the go-to guy. The, the game's been stretched out a little bit in Indiana. You know, they need a jolt here. So they're going to go to Romeo Langford and involve their two best guys, Langford and Jawan Morgan. And, you know, you'll see this a lot in all levels of basketball. When you need a bucket, you get a play that involves your two best players. It's, I mean, it's that simple. So they're looking for the, the pick and roll, side pick and roll going middle with Jawan Morgan over here on the right wing. Romeo Langford's the ball handler. And so when Jawan comes up to set the screen, as he's moving up, Romeo kind of goes early. And that's not a, a bad thing because you can kind of see he's got a crease here. Gafford's waiting for him, obviously, at the rim. But, you know, he, he's looking to kind of get into this uh, mid-range area and as Jawan Morgan comes up, Romeo goes. And what that does is it causes Jawan Morgan's man, 
he can't follow Juwan all the way out to the wing because Romeo's man is caught a little bit off guard. And so you, you need the second defender to come up and take away this drive. And so Juwan Morgan, instead of rolling, and this is where adding that three-point shot to his game really comes in handy, because instead of rolling, he can just kind of float out here into space behind the three-point arc here. And as Romeo draws two defenders, he just kicks the ball out, and it's a catch-and-shoot three. And you know that's a shot that Juwan Morgan didn't have in his bag as a sophomore. It's a shot that kind of came and went last season. And it's a shot that we don't know if it's going to stick you know, permanently this year. But if it does, I mean, that's, that's just a completely uh, new weapon that he has in his game. And, and it gives Indiana, you know, a, a really uh, an added element of dynamism and something that could really open up a lot of things in their offense. So it, it's really a play just as simple as a two man pick and roll. And it's really not even a pick and roll because there's no contact on the screen. There's no Romeo Langford doesn't even use the screen. It's just kind of two really good players playing off of one another and just reading the game as it comes. And a guy who's obviously made, Big improvements to his jump shot, worked really hard on it, knocking down a shot. He is shooting the ball with a lot more confidence this year. Yeah. I thought last year he came out and tried to prove that he was a three-point shooter, but it was almost like you could tell he was trying and it didn't work. And then eventually, you know, four or five games in, he realized, oh yeah, I need to go back inside. And then he started dominating. This year, he just looks like a confident three-point shooter. And so I think that's been a big difference. And he's going to get better looks this year, given all the offensive talent around him. So yeah, why? and I, th- I think he also knows too that if he wants to get drafted this year, and, and this obviously isn't his primary concern because you're focused on the season and winning at the college level, but you know it's got to be somewhere in the back of his mind that if he wants to play at the NBA level, he probably needs to shoot that jump shot at a decent rate, and so you know that that can be a big motivating factor for a guy who after this season isn't going to have any more time left in college and really needs to prove it this year. And those things can go hand in hand because if he's you know shooting them and making yeah. a decent enough clip of them, that's good for Indiana. So why not run that two man game more often? Why not why not put Romeo and Juwan there on the same side of the court more? It's a good question. Um, I yeah. I don't totally know. I I actually would like to see it more often. Some of it was what Arkansas was doing defensively. They actually showed zone a few times, so that makes it tougher to run pick and rolls because you're not really, you know, you're not really running it to like displace the defenders because you're just moving into a different zone where there's another defender. Um, so the, the defensive coverage is a little bit different there. I think the presence of Daniel Gafford could have prevented them from doing that because his length and his athleticism, mm. he was really bothering uh, a lot of shots. And so maybe you don't want to involve him in that action because you know that it's almost like, you know, teams will do this with Draymond Green where they'll, they'll run pick and rolls, but not with Draymond's man. And so it, one of the benefits of putting him on the other team's best player is that you just can't run pick and rolls with that guy because you're running it into an elite defender. And so that part that could have played a role in this, but I'm with you. I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of this, especially with Deron Davis on the floor, because then Gafford's not guarding Jawan Morgan. You can you know, go at weaker defenders and kind of create some more space in that sense. But you know, also, I think another reason could be that you know, Jawan really had it rolling in the post. I mean, he was really effective there finding guys. The next clip I'm going to show is him kind of passing out of the post being a playmaker from there. And he's obviously an effective scorer in the post. And then the, maybe the, the third reason is that that press that Arkansas was running was really speeding Indiana up. Yeah. And so a lot of the time their possessions were just come down, kind of probe and semi-transition and shoot a quick shot. And so they weren't really getting into their half-court offense quite as much as maybe Archie Miller would have liked. Makes sense. So this next clip is, like I said, passing out of the post. We've got Jawan Morgan down here on the right block. Rob Fennessey is going to enter the ball. 
spaced floor, well, sort of spaced floor. Deron Davis is over here on the opposite block. Al Durham, Romeo Lankford spotting up on the opposite side of the floor. So Finnessy's going to enter the ball, and Morgan faces up. He's not going to back down. He, he faces right up. But right as he's putting down that first dribble, Finnessy's man comes over on the double. Quick double. They, they know that Morgan is you know an elite scorer, and they want to get the ball out of his hands. So what he does, he reads it immediately, and he, and he sees the double team coming. He takes that first dribble and right away goes to Rob Finnessy on the, on the perimeter. Really good read. Quick swing pass to Al Durham. And that, that double team creates a vacuum out on the perimeter because Durham's man has to step up and take Finnessy. This guy over here on the weak side, he's got a tough choice. He either has to step up and take away Al Durham, or it, which, which then leaves Romeo Langford open, or he's got to stay home on Romeo Langford, Indiana, maybe Indiana's best shooter, and, and take away his three. He kind of does neither. He just kind of stays in no man's land, stunts toward Durham, but not enough to really stop the ball. And so that gives Al Durham a wide open lane. And Deron Davis's man has to step up to stop that dribble penetration. And Durham just reads it and drops it right off for a layup. Fairly simple play. And what I like about that is how quickly Indiana was able to attack that double team. That's what you have to, when you, when you pound the ball and, and try to take your time and work against a double team, you're just giving them more time to recover and, and get back to their assignments. You have to attack quickly. They got a good kick out. They got a good swing pass. And Al Durham made a nice drive, a nice quick decision to drop it off to Deron Davis, a nice simple read of the defense, and they're able to get a quick, easy basket. That's what you have to do against those double teams. And, and Juwan, I think to his credit, has become better at reading those this season as a senior. That's a great point. One of these weeks, we need to do a feature on Rob Finnessy feeding the post. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be like pornography for IU fans, <laughs> especially after the last decade of watching guys try to feed the post and not be very good at it. Yeah. But he's he's consistently good at it. I mean, he makes the simple passes. And he also, what I love about it, sorry, this is a total tangent, but it just made me think of it, is how he will dribble himself into position to be able to make a better post pass. Like his understanding of that as a freshman. So let's let's mark that down because I think one of these weeks yeah. we should do a, we should do a second. That's what it's all about. It's just it's it's just about creating the angle. You know, I think yeah. fifty to seventy percent of turnovers on on post entries are not due to anything the defense is doing. Really, it's just it's just trying to make a pass from an angle that isn't conducive to feeding the post. So yeah, that's a great point. Is is creating that angle, and you can also do that. In, in a variety of ways. You know, you can swing the ball, you can dribble the ball. Uh, it, it can depend on how the, the guy posting up is positioned and you can you can either have him move a different position. You can have the ball. Tim Duncan was great at this, where if a guy was fronting the post, Duncan would just hold that position. The Spurs would rotate the ball and create a passing angle and, and it's a wide open duck in because Tim Duncan was just so much smarter than everyone else. Um, anyway, that's a tangent off of the tangent. So we'll... I, I love your insistence on NBA. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what I'm familiar with. Uh, it's okay. Tim Duncan, you know, it's it's anytime I have a chance to talk about Tim Duncan, I, I have to take it. So <laughs> yes. Next, uh, this is actually a kind of a, a good segue because this is a, a Duncan esque play and and kind of what I was talking about um, that the same idea of of kind of sealing in. This is this is again Jawan Morgan, and Indiana gets a fast break. It's Romeo Langford grabbing the rebound. I've talked before about Romeo Langford's grab-and-go ability, his ability to just get a rebound and at 6-6, push the ball up the floor, handle it, I think could be a really valuable weapon for Indiana this year. But at any rate, you notice as soon as he gets the rebound, Jawan Morgan, right at the start of this clip, you can tell is dead set on beating everyone down the floor. 
And so he takes off, he sprints, and then right around the, the three-point line, he slows up, puts his hand out. Langford sees him, but you can tell he's not really sure if he's got this passing angle. Running straight down the middle of the floor for those who uh, are not on the video. And then around the free throw line, you can see he puts that right arm into his defender. And he doesn't push off, but he just kind of holds him there. It's just sort of this, this subtle arm bar that the best players and the most experienced players are really good um, at getting away with. And Langford just floats the pass over the defender. And what this arm bar does is not only create horizontal space between Morgan and the defender and, and give him space to catch the ball, but it also neutralizes the defender's jumping ability. So he can't jump up and, and grab this ball because he's got an arm in the side of his body. So Romeo Lankford just floats it right over. Morgan catches and it's, it's you know, if this defender is in a position where he either has to let the layup go or foul him. And so he chooses to let it go. Easy layup. Um, that's the kind of thing where you can, you can look to do that maybe two, three times a game. Just get that early offense, the early seal. When your big man beats everyone down the floor, you know, if he just posts up right away and gets that early seal, and sometimes it'll be in the form of a duck-in where he'll, you'll, you'll get them right around the charge circle and just seal someone underneath the basket early on in a possession, you know, that's a good way to kind of generate early offense where you don't have to work against a set defense and you can get some easier shots. That was such a great pass from Romeo. Just yeah. the timing of it where the pass was, but what I, and I noticed that live, what I didn't notice was what Juwan did. I mean, you, know, you noticed the sprinting, but that subtle move that you said, you know, with that arm bar and not pushing off where you could get called for a foul, um, but just holding it there to hold that position and create that seal. That was great. I mean, by the two of them, I mean, that was yeah. just, that was beautiful. And again, it's, it's this idea of just involving your best players, you know, put the ball in the hands of one of your two best players, run a two man game with the other guy and more likely than not, good things are going to happen. And so, and I, I think as the season goes on, Indiana will realize that. I think it's important to get people involved, run kind of an egalitarian offense. I think that's what Indiana wants to do. But ultimately, I, I think they'll get to a point where as they play these better teams, they're going to need their two best guys to be the two best guys and play like that because they've got two maybe fringe All-American talents on this team. And there are going to be certain points in the season where Indiana can't win unless Romeo Lankford and Jawan Morgan play like it. Do you have any so more last, videos? Oh, one more? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just asking if you had any more videos. I've got one more. Okay, um, yeah, and it's kind more. of similar to one that I showed earlier. It's another pass out of the post. And again, it's Finnessy feeding the post. Um, so maybe we can recycle these clips when we go back into that <laughs> post feeding segment. But they're going to enter it in. Jawan Morgan is on the left block, seemingly against Daniel Gafford. And again, you can see as soon as he catches the ball, he's got his head up. I think early in his career, and, and a lot of players are like this, and, and even upperclassmen still do this sometimes, they, they catch the ball and they are either looking at the ball or they're looking at the basket or they're looking you know, at the guy who passed it to him or somewhere that is not the rest of the floor. And so here, Morgan is just reading what's going on on the floor. He's looking at where the defense is and he's seeing where he might be able to find an opening. So Romeo Langford is going to move out of that corner and kind of up closer to the top. And Arkansas's defense right now is, is not balanced. They've got basically two guys, you know, three guys in this, in this triangle right here and two on the weak side of the floor, but no one's really guarding anyone. So that quick double comes, but both of these guys double. And so you're almost triple teaming the post. Unfortunately for Indiana, their spacing is not ideal with these three guys right up top because 
you can basically have this guy stunt and recover, and then this guy can guard two players at once because they're so close together. So what they do is Al Durham is going to come around this right side, move into the corner as Rob Finnessy goes to the wing. Morgan, keeping the ball away from the defense, takes the one dribble still with his head up, and notice Durham kind of coming through here to the, the right corner, and Morgan's just going to throw a beautiful pass through the defense to the opposite corner, and that's where the double team hurts Arkansas because now that Indiana has spaced the floor and they're able to spread these guys out, this defender who was guarding Rob Finnessy has to move over and take Al Durham. Otherwise, it's a wide open corner three. And so Durham, again, uh, like he did a couple clips ago with, with that nice feed to Davis, he just reads the defense, makes a simple play, swing pass to Rob Finnessy, who hits a clutch three and ties the game with under a minute left. So this was this is uh, one of the ways that Indiana was hurting Arkansas down the stretch. And I think, again, one of the big improvements that Jawan Morgan has made is just when teams double team him, he is able to just punish them. And I don't think that's a pass that he sees a year ago. It's definitely not a pass that he sees when he's a sophomore. I think this is these, these are things that he's added to his game over his career. And it's been really, really fun to watch him kind of add these multiple levels to his game uh, as, as he's matured and gotten better as a player. And I think this season, I, I mentioned it on, um, I think it was last week's Basketball 201, but th- the thing that I'm most interested to see from Juwan Morgan this year is how he improves as a playmaker and how Indiana uses him as such because he's going to command double teams in the post. You know, he's, he's going to be able to do those kind of fake DHOs that, that we saw earlier. He's going to be able to attack in a lot of different ways and he's going to draw a lot of defensive, defensive attention. And so, you know, is he a good enough passer and a smart enough player to find open guys and to catalyze the offense by moving the ball rather than just scoring it? I think the answer is yes, and thus far it has been, but I'm interested to see if that holds up as the season goes on. I think the two biggest lessons that we've learned from the Marquette game and from the Arkansas game, you know, the first two games against actual real competition are, you know, number one, Romeo has an ability to go get buckets that you just, you can't really teach and that this team was sorely lacking last year. And that even when he's not handling the ball well and playing good defense, it's going to keep Indiana in some games like it did against Arkansas. That's clear. The second lesson, through you know seeing Juwan play two really good halves against Marquette, one really good half for Arkansas, and then not being there the first half, is that this team plays better when he's kind of leading emotionally, and also when they're playing through him in half court offense. You know those two things seem like the biggest things that we've learned about this team early on, and they maybe seem like things that we kind of thought we knew, but now it's really been confirmed with these two games. I totally agree, and and actually one of the one of the two observations I noted in yesterday's post game email was. Indiana's at its best when Jawan Morgan is assertive and they, they need him to assert himself. And again, it, it just goes back to this idea. And I think both of the two points you just made, you know, get, get, get at this. You need your two best players to play like your two best players. And it's clear who the two best players on this team are. And I think this is going to be a dominant theme uh, all season long is just Romeo Langford's, you know, immutability as a scorer. Just there are certain things you can't take away from him. And then Jawan Morgan, just the versatility, ability to do a little bit of everything uh, is going to that that has to be, I think, the catalyst of this offense. And then you let other guys play around that. Ben, another great edition of uh, of Basketball 201. So you will not be in the arena for UT Arlington or for UC Davis, right? I will not. I will not. Um, or nor will I be in the arena for Duke. But oh, that's right. Unfortunately, but that's I will right. be back for whatever is the home game after Duke. What is the home game? I don't. I don't think it's anybody good. I don't remember what the schedule is. It's it's too far down the line for me to have uh, concerned myself with it this this early. 
Well, now we got to look. Oh, yeah, that's right. We play Northwestern. Big Ten season starts. Uh-huh. That we, that's right. It's the gauntlet. We got Duke, then Northwestern, then Penn State, then Louisville, then Butler. So we got uh, uh, we got these two games. We need to get guys healthy because that's the yeah. other thing. That Maybe the third lesson is oh, how yeah. important Zach McRoberts and Devontae Green are to this team, especially yeah, I mean, just having like you know, bodies who can yeah. who can play. I mean, I, Romeo played it. 38 minutes yesterday they just did they don't really have any any alternatives on either end of the floor it's just uh that wing depth when you take one or two guys out of that rotation it just gets really dangerously thin yeah yeah and i think just based on some of the reactions not all of them it is a minority of reactions but for folks who walked out of yesterday's game feeling disappointed in the way that romeo played and i get it there were ball handling mistakes galore his defense left a lot to be desired but for a freshman in his fourth game to do what he did on the road against Arkansas and to provide what he provided offensively, like and the rebounding, because I thought his rebounding was outstanding. Yep. Like, let's be fair to him, you know? Like yeah. on balance, he brought a ton of positives to that game. So again, that's not most people, but just for those who walked away from that game disappointed in Romeo, I I just think that there are maybe some things that you're not seeing that he really brought to the table that were extremely important. So. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the end of this segment. Excellent job, Ben. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, coming up, it is time for our opponent preview. Uh, Indiana faces UT Arlington tomorrow night. We will talk about them, preview that game here. Coming up. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our final segment, we dedicate it to previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent for that week. This week, man, it is a quick turnaround. Indiana plays a home game against UT Arlington. You played a a, a tough physical game on Sunday where a lot of guys have to play a lot of minutes. You're still dealing with some injuries. You know, not ideal to have this quick of a turnaround. On the one hand, I guess. On the other hand, you know, you want to get that the bad taste of a loss out of your out of your mouth as quickly as possible. So, in that sense, maybe it's good. Um, but I think you know, in this case, probably good that UT Arlington doesn't project as a very difficult opponent for Indiana. Now, you know, whether an opponent projects as a difficult opponent, uh, you know, hasn't always kind of determined what the game will be like. But there are some reasons to think that even a depleted Indiana team, even if Devontae and Zach don't come back for this game, which I don't expect that they will, even with all of that, Indiana should still be able to breeze to a victory. Signs that point to that. Not saying it's guaranteed to happen, but let's talk a little bit about UT Arlington. So they've been a program that's actually been pretty good the last couple of years. Um, Last year, they started out 108th in Ken Palm. They finished 128th, and they fired their coach, Scott Cross. They fired him basically because, you know, the season before that, I think they were 75th in Ken Palm, something like that. Like, they were really good. Uh, and so expectations were high. They fell short of those expectations, had a really experienced team last year, and so he got fired. And, and a lot of people, when he got fired, didn't really understand it because they'd been playing better. So so this is a program that's been decent. And you look at that and you think, okay, you know, this might be a difficult game. However... They basically don't resemble anything that they've resembled recently because they have virtually no experience. And I know Andy mentioned this on the postgame show last night. But last last year, seven of their top eight players in terms of usage were seniors. The other guy who was in that group of top eight players in usage was a junior. None of those guys are with the program anymore. <laughs> so 
That is why when you look at their minutes continuity on Ken Palm, which is essentially you know how many minutes do they have coming back from one year to the next, they're at 7.4%. That's how many minutes they return, which is 348th in the country. Not good, obviously. For comparison's sake, Indiana is 42.4%. That's 215th. So it's not great, and you know obviously accounts for you know a lot of the new guys that we have. But it's nothing like UT Arlington. So you're coming into Assembly Hall. You know, I, granted, it's not going to be the most raucous of atmospheres because it's only UT Arlington. But still, you got a lot of inexperienced guys still kind of figuring things out. That's not a real good recipe for playing well uh, against uh, against an Indiana team at home. So no experience. That's one reason. The other reason to think this is going to be a pretty simple game for Indiana to win is that UT Arlington has no height. So they are 352nd in the country in average height. For comparison's sake, Indiana is 34th. So that's basically, it's based on the amount of minutes played and the height of those guys. And it, you know, spits out your average height per minute, basically. Uh, for UT Arlington, no one who plays at least 25% of minutes is taller than 6'5". So they have a couple, they have like a 6'8 guy and a 6'9 guy, but those guys don't play very many minutes. Everybody else on their team is really short. Okay, so Indiana really should be able to dominate down low, and that helps because Indiana likes to play inside out. So I would look for this to be a game where Jawan Morgan really gets a lot of work done. I would expect this is a kind of game where Deron Davis could come in and literally score 14, 16 points in 12 minutes because they're just not going to have anybody to guard him. They also don't have much outside shooting. They are shooting 24.7% from downtown. That is 328th in the country. Ironically, they take a lot of threes. They uh, are 23rd in the country in terms of the percentage of their field goal attempts that are three-pointers. Almost 50% of their shots are three-pointers. So, you know, a lot of these guys don't have a track record, so I can't tell you if they're early shooting through three games is an anomaly and if they're better shooters, but I can tell you just from a strategic perspective, they certainly seem like they want to take a lot of threes. They just haven't been making them. So, you know, that that obviously is a little bit worrisome because if they just catch fire and they're, you know, shooting a bunch of threes and our defensive rotations aren't on point, then that certainly has been a recipe for an upset, but they haven't been a team yet that has shown the ability to hit a lot of threes. Uh, they do have a nice win this year over Northern Iowa, a team that's 151st in Ken Palm, uh, and, but they have a bad loss to the 311th team, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, they beat UC Davis by nine. Now, the one thing that they like to do a lot and that they have done and which doesn't make a ton of sense given their lack of height, is they really get to the free throw line a lot. They have a free throw rate of 50%, basically meaning that for every two field goal attempts, they attempt a free throw. That's really good. It's 28th in the country. Um, so they're short. I mean, you know, all the guys who use their minutes and use their possession are 5'11", 6 foot. I think one of them is like 6'4". So, you know, for the, for guys at that level of height to get the level of free throws they're getting, you can tell that they really like to play kind of an inside-out drive-and-kick game if you combine that kind of free throw rate with that level of three-point shooting. So, you know, so Indiana's perimeter defense you know, pressuring the ball, but also stopping dribble penetration, which is what the pack line is really designed to do, that's going to have to be on point. So I think this is a really good test for Indiana's perimeter defense. Because clearly, if you let these guys get into the lane, they have some ability to get fouled and get to the lane, and they're a good free throw shooting team, so you don't want them to do that. On the flip side, of course, they're not going to block many shots. There's not a Daniel Gafford down there, uh, so Indiana should be able to finish very well. But I think from a defensive perspective, if you're just looking at what does this team like to do, what kind of challenge does that present for Indiana, the guard defense is really going to have to be on point, which is maybe a little bit worrisome. Not that our guards aren't capable, but again, we've only got a few of them. You know, with McRoberts out, with Devontae Green out, you're really relying on Rob Finnessy, Al Durham, and Romeo Langford to pick up a lot of that slack. 
Demise Anderson too, um, you know, although he you know certainly doesn't seem ready yet to play defense at a high level. So, you know, our guys are going to have to defend without fouling, but UT Arlington is going to put a lot of pressure on him. So that that will be interesting. So, you know, the keys to victory in this game, number one, no Arkansas hangover. You know, you can't come out and play lackadaisically. You don't want to let any team hang around early and let them believe that they have a chance. You know, we need to come out and defend like we did against Montana State, like we did against Marquette, protect our home court. And like any home game against a team like this, assert your dominance early so that you can cruise in the second half. You don't want this game going into halftime with them feeling like, hey, you know, we're, we're only down three here. This is crazy. We got a real shot. Let's, you know, let's dominate this game from the beginning. I think that'll tell us a lot about the mindset of this team. Uh, the second key, as I just mentioned, is going to be to prevent dribble penetration without fouling. That's going to be really important. And, you know, our guards... Even when Devontae Green comes back all season long, our guards are just going to have to get used to defending without fouling because even with Devontae Green, we don't have a ton of depth back there. He helps out a lot, but we've only got a few guys that can really handle the ball, especially against pressure. So that's going to be something that we really need to be good at uh, and then get the ball inside. I mean, you know, this is not something that is outside of what we want to do. This is what we want to do. And so these early games are about habits really working on how you want to play. As we just talked about with Ben on Basketball 201, this team plays better when they play inside out, when things run through Jawan Morgan. Get the ball inside to him. Get it into Deron Davis when he's in there. Those guys are going to be able to score a lot of points, um, you know, but they'll also be able to pass out and get some other things done for, for the rest of their team. But in this case, it's a real weakness for UT Arlington, and I think Indiana can get a lot of easy buckets down low. So no Arkansas hangover. Prevent dribble penetration without fouling. Get the ball inside. Uh, and if Indiana is able to do those things, um, then they're going to win this game. The Ken Palm prediction is 84-62, Indiana with a 97% chance of winning. That sounds reasonable to me. I'd love to see us hold them to fewer than 62 points. You know, not a real good offensive team. Uh, and, and let's kind of keep that defensive dominance going, um, kind of like we did against Chicago State and Montana State. Um, that would be... Nice to see. So post-game show tomorrow night after UT Arlington. Uh, Andy is for certain going to be here. I'm hoping that I'll be able to be there for that. But either way, as we always do, we will have a show for you. So we hope that you will be here with us. All righty. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Banner Monday. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons for the live broadcast. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter, which will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow after IUUT Arlington. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission 
when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.